0: All right, Alec, you got to lead in this one because you you weren't man enough to lead into the last one.
1: Yeah, I saw that one coming. (laughs) Welcome back to Raven's Recap. Y'all, you heard Peter say it. Uh, I had to lead in because (laughs) I uh, didn't want to do it last time, and I don't think anyone wanted to do it this time, so it's fair enough. Unfortunately, our... uh, ridiculous streak of watching the Ravens win in the Lamar era pseudo came to an end Lamar didn't play so I don't know it might be still in play no one knows for sure I guess it's like if uh, a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it did not make a sound but uh the Ravens did lose unfortunately to the Rams uh, they gave up their lead with only less than a minute to go in the game they were ahead the whole game unable to finish and get back ahead and get that uh improbable win against the Rams under their belt to improve their chances of making the playoffs as it sits right now the number of boys will tell you that the ravens have a two percent chance of making the playoffs but uh the realist thinks that they have basically zero because it turns out one of the things that needed to happen uh which is the raiders being the chargers is uh not beneficial to either team because if the jags do their job which is also needed um they could just kneel and they both would make the playoffs so there's a chance I would say unless they don't want to do this gentleman's agreement that it's basically 0%. But nevertheless, uh, we're here to break down the Ravens because we're here for this team through and through. And we know you all are too, if you're listening at this point and we appreciate you.
2: Yeah. Super unfortunate ending. Uh, I don't think we mentioned the score Ravens, uh, uh, Ravens lost 2019. And uh, yeah, just, you know, again, super unfortunate of just how the whole game transpired. I, I know, you know the first half, uh, Ravens I think solidly controlled the game. Um, it really wasn't until that interception that Huntley threw on the last couple of minutes before halftime, uh, where really the Rams were able to to kind of get back in it. And then it was sort of like a slow death uh, up until the fourth quarter. You know I think it's it, it's weird, man. It's just you know so many so many things went well this game. It was probably one of the closest, most complete performances that the Ravens have. Have uh, given us in the second half of the season, but it just wasn't enough. And unfortunately, just some of the things that we had uh, seen improvement from with the Ravens and uh, just you know took a step back. I think, namely, the Red Zone offense was just awful this game compared to you know a couple of weeks ago against the Packers, where it was fantastic. I think a lot of the guys that have been interviewed the last couple of days have kind of said it best. It just it it hurts a lot this game because they were in control for much of the game and and they thought that they really had it, but it just slipped away at the last moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, the big thing that's so disappointing about this game is that the Ravens were in control of this football game to a greater degree than they had been in control of a football game, probably since the game against the Chargers. Granted, I don't think they were ever in that great of control, but for pretty much the whole first half, the Ravens' defense was stifling the Rams' offense. They're forcing Stafford into turnovers. The offense was doing enough to hold on to the ball and, and move it down the field uh, to give the defense some rest. And then, unfortunately, in, an, in another area of the game that seemed like it was going exactly the Ravens' way, Ravens had the ball uh, with less than two minutes to go in the half. McVeigh was calling timeouts when the, while the Ravens were gaining yards, and... He looked like he was an idiot, but then you know Huntley threw the interception and it looked like McVay had Merlin on the payroll and the Rams (laughs) had enough time to go down and score a Cooper Cup touchdown to give them momentum going into halftime. (laughs) Just unfortunately, I think that just that one play there was probably the difference. And it's a stinker. It really is. Uh, We had high hopes for this team. They're not technically out of it, but they technically are, as we just said. And... uh, Yeah, I mean it was an exciting game, as most of them have been this year. But for five straight, after five straight weeks, still waiting for another Ravens win, and
1: unfortunately on Sunday, yet again, it was another loss. It's the hope that kills you, as they say. It (laughs) really is. I mean, unfortunately, the game went exactly as we wanted it to. Right? We knew the path to victory. It was turnovers to keep us in it. Those happened. It was us doing enough to capitalize on them and that's probably where we fell short right like the two times that we didn't get the defense score on their own right it wasn't a pick six we only got field goals off of those we didn't get touchdowns and they were long drives so you can argue well it's not the end of the world that they didn't get touchdowns there but it's more so that just the ravens offense didn't score any touchdowns this game they always settled for field goals despite twice getting within the five which is just super painful. And to me, it kind of felt like the past burned them in a way. I felt like an earlier Ravens team that didn't have all these issues converting on these fourth down or two point conversion. These kind of like high leverage plays close in the red zone potentially goes for it in those situations. But they were like, nah, we're going to try out the kicker, which I'm sure like pleased a lot of people out there. But then in the retrospect, it kind of hurt, right? And I I don't think I was too critical of it of at the time because every single time the Ravens didn't get in the end zone when they were that close, they were sputtering when they got there. They had issues. but uh yeah, it was it was kind of interesting to me in retrospect that they never pushed it. And there was a couple times that they didn't push it. There was a scenario early in the game where they got to the kind of a no man's land. And they they punted. Uh, it would have been like a 57-yard field goal for Tucker. I know that there was all those controversies and reports before the game that he was frustrated with his warm-up. But uh, they didn't even attempt that, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting, too, that there was a couple times where the Ravens seemed less aggressive than normal, almost. And uh, we th- we saw, we've said in the past the reason they're aggressive is because this team's handicapped and needs every edge they can get. And they kind of seem, for whatever reason, to go against that in this game.
2: Yeah, I was actually uh, thinking a very similar thing, Alec. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if we had this in the notes, but uh, yeah, just as you were talking about that, it's just you know I I felt like this is a, a good example of when you're more conservative in your play calling, and that you know you can get field goals; those are guaranteed points. That's fine, but the point is, is that still wasn't enough points to win the game. Yeah, I mean, when you go down into the red zones that, that many times and settle for field goals, yeah, okay. Um, but, you know, the Rams can easily score a touchdown and one more touchdown than we did, and that's what they did this game, and they ended up winning by one point. So I didn't feel like there were a lot of egregious conservative calls in this game. You know, that I think the the point you bring up with where we punted instead of kick the field goal or instead of going for it. I do think that was interesting. But if I recall, I think that was like a fourth and sixth, I believe. So it would have been a little bit harder to convert. And then also, you know, getting down inside the five, you know, maybe that would have been a situation to go for it. But if I recall, I think there was a penalty. So it kind of knocked us back. So it, it, it wasn't like a fourth and, you know, fourth and two, fourth and three kind of situation where, you know, it's there's a reasonable chance of completing it. Yeah, so it's like I'm I'm a little on the fence with it. You know, it's it certainly would have been great to you know, <laughs> to be able to to be able to to just get those points. But at the end of the day, I you know, maybe the coaching staff they were just kind of saw us on the field and they were like, you know, hey, look, it, it may not be our day. We're going to play a little bit more conservative just because you know some guys are you know feeling a little off today or, or, or something right that you know sometimes sometimes you know the guys are kind of all dialed in and and, and ready and, and look like you know hungry for it or something sometimes you know that's not every day um so maybe the coaching staff is a little bit more in tune with that who knows but uh yeah it's it, it certainly for me i guess it wasn't egregious that they didn't go for it all the time. I felt like the game flow kind of felt like they made the right decisions, but it came up a little bit short.
0: It's an interesting thought experiment to wonder if if they had gone for it on fourth down earlier or, you know, if, if some of the play calling on offense was a bit more aggressive. Um, I have seen some uh, analysis that the Ravens relied too much on the short passing game against the Rams, which we'll get to. But honestly, I was just thinking about it today we we keep talking and and debating whether you know how the Ravens are doing on fourth down. Uh, should they have gone for two points? Should they not have? All these these um, discussions and and thought experiments on what the Ravens are doing in specific game situations. Honestly, I, I think, <laughs> and I hate to say it, I just think none of it really mattered. I I just think that the problem that the Ravens were running into here is just that. This team has been so beat up with injuries and just having to scrape the bottom of the barrel and, and and test the depth that this team has, this roster has to the max this year. I just don't think a team can can consistently win football games that way, even a team that's as well coached and as well scouted and deep as the Ravens are. And I think this year's kind of shown. That. I mean, you, you look back even against Cleveland, the game where Lamar went out. Huntley did an excellent job in bringing them back. The defense uh, held the Browns out of the red zone uh, for the entire second half in that game. Heck, the Ravens even got an onside kick. Ravens converted an onside kick in that game, and still the offense couldn't get the game where the Ravens would win. You know, this Ravens team, they've overperformed this year. They really have. Um, I was looking back at it today, because just, again, another thought that crossed my mind, I was just like, you know, this team, we've been talking about how all these games have been close and how it had been a while since the Ravens had had a, a you know, a thorough victory of, from both sides of the ball. I just looked back in the Harbaugh era. At first, I looked at how many wins the Ravens have this year by seven points or more. Um, I thought it was only one. I thought it was only the Chargers game. I'd forgotten that, that we beat the Broncos pretty good as well. So the Ravens have had two wins on the season and 16 games, even though there's one more to go, of, at least of seven points or more. They won the game by seven points or more. That is the worst in the Harbaugh era outside of 2015 where they had zero. And the Ravens have a lot of these victories. Uh, if you look back in their past seasons – generally the Ravens are getting between like seven to nine wins of seven points or more, even in the years when they didn't have quite as good of a winning record as other seasons. So to me, that just shows you a team that's been overperforming this year to even get to the eight win mark and to hold it together as well as it has been for injuries. And then I think just the teams just got to the point where we had the belief that they could do it. We still had some players on the roster healthy who were extremely, high caliber players like, you know, Mark Andrews, Calais Campbell, Chuck Clark, Rashad Bateman, very promising rookie, but it's just it's just too much to overcome uh the key injuries that they had. Uh going all the way back to, to week one. You go into week two and you don't have three of your top ten best players and you know, Dobbins, Peters, and Stanley, maybe even throw Gus Edwards in there as well. Uh <laughs> you know I it's it's incredible what the Ravens have done and I get fans' frustrations. They're just saying, like, fire this coach, you know, get rid of this guy, don't pay Lamar. I, I just don't know what, what conclusions we can draw on all this, and maybe that's getting ahead of myself towards the season recap. But, yeah, I, I just it, – it, it's hard for me to think, oh, the Ravens, you know, if they were a little more aggressive, they would have won. I, was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. And that was a long rant, so I apologize for taking up too much time. But, yeah, that that's just I, – I just don't have any other – answers for how this game could have gone better except that i think it went the best that
1: it could given given the personnel i agree with what you're saying peter i think that kind of goes back to me saying even when they weren't aggressive i wasn't too upset about it in this game there were definitely times that i called for it but i wasn't i didn't think it was a a crazy move and they did have some aggression in them right they they went for a little fourth down a couple times and they got it which was awesome but um those were more dead you know middle of the field one yard we can just bully them kind of plays right and those were great success. i mean i'm glad that they worked because there's plenty of times that they didn't run the ball successfully um but those game those those plays are actually pretty darn well executed maybe you know the pounce, I vault and uh <laughs> we you know prospered i guess i want to take it back to before the game started um we were tailgating and we found out that proche was inactive and of the three of us i was probably the most uh in hysterics, I just kept bringing it up. People were like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> but I looked into it after the game. Obviously, I think Watkins is the clear person that was activated over him. And Watkins had 14 snaps uh, for you know 20 of the total snap share on offense. No special team snaps because he's not able to contribute there. Or, like you know, isn't I guess practicing there. Uh, he had no stats on the day, right? Um, no catches. I do wonder when you have a guy like Duvernay coming off of injury that you don't want to have Prochet who's been your you know, backup returner not active in that situation. I thought it was interesting uh, from that perspective regardless of the fact that you know the results show that Watkins didn't do anything because I feel like at this point like I'd rather see more Prochet than Watkins because Prochet is likely to be here not, not Watkins and also I think you know Based off current production, I know in the beginning of the year, we were quite pleased with what Watkins was bringing to the table, but he's completely fallen off the, the face of the universe these last few games. So I I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird, even in retrospect, that they went with this.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking up his contract information now. I I haven't seen anything here, but I'd love to kind of get some confirmation. One idea I might have had was just, you know, is are there certain uh, bonuses that he might get from, you know, playing a certain number of snaps or starting a certain number of games, something like that um that might be something in this contract but yeah other than that i mean it's it's weird man you know the the thing with walk is like i don't like if if we were making the playoffs uh which still can happen but if if we were and say you had all these people back i i wouldn't like i don't mind sammy kind of being that sort of you know third fourth receiver as a trusted option like i still trust him in that in yeah. big situations right i mean he's while like yeah he's had a few drops In certain situations, that one interception earlier in the season, I think was, you know, as a result of kind of him, was also not great. But overall, I still think it's pretty positive. I just think the situation is completely different now because there are so many in-house guys that are performing really, really well. And it's just a, it's a new situation. I don't think the Ravens have ever been in a situation where we're just more excited about the guys that we have versus a trusted vet that we you know, thought at least at the beginning of the season that that person would be you know really relied upon. So, yeah, as, as far as this particular game, it's it's definitely a little weird. Yeah, I mean the I, I guess the only positive thing is that you know I think the coaching staff seems to be pretty high on Tylen Wallace. Um, you know, I know there were a number of different formations out there where the Ravens went to three wide receiver sets, and Wallace was in a good number of them. It wasn't always Bateman, Hollywood, and Watkins. Wallace was out there a good uh, bit as the third receiver. And when the Ravens wanted to go five wide, which they did a, a handful of times this game as well, I think Wallace was also a uh, featured option there. So, you know, while it would have been nice to have Prochet out there, I'm pretty excited about Wallace, and I think the coaching staff is too, and they want to see, you know, what they have in him.
0: Yeah, I'm, Wallace, he was um, – I don't think he had a catch in the game, but they used him uh, – along with Duvernay, Duvernay obviously did have a carry, but on a couple plays, they would have Wallace come across, like he might take a handoff or uh, be in the backfield where Huntley might throw it to him. And on those plays, a couple of the Ravens' big runs were set up by using Wallace as as a decoy, as, as maybe an option on the play. I, I'm pretty sure that Freeman's big run on the day was set up by just having Wallace in the backfield as an option. So, you know, part of it could have just been that they felt that that role was better suited for Wallace's skills, but I do agree. It is interesting to have seen Watkins kind of, you know, really be non-existent over the past couple of weeks, especially after he caught what could have been the the touchdown that sent the game into overtime against Pittsburgh. Uh, really, Watkins' lack of red zone targets this entire year has been kind of interesting. I know we were talking in the offseason that he might be a guy that the Ravens would want to uh, use in the red zone, um, but that really hasn't been the case this season. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if having him out there would have helped Huntley a bit, you know, having another vet guy out there. But I guess they really wanted to get him a lot of plays where where Bateman and, and Andrews were on the field because uh, Bayman in particular Huntley seems to have really good chemistry with, um, and Mark Andrews has chemistry with any quarterback who's going to throw to his way. So that's not really saying too much, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting move. Just adds more. I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point that Watkins will be playing his last game in a Ravens uniform very shortly.
1: Yeah, Wallace was really interesting this game, like you said, Peter didn't have a catch, but. um his big contribution was uh, on special teams where he was able to get the ball at the four-yard line um, to guarantee good field position on that first punt of the game. So that was good good play by him. And also, like you said, uh, he had some good blocks and you a know, good contributor on his 20 snaps. The really interesting thing when you look at, if you're like a snap count junkie, is that uh, Bateman actually had the most snaps of anyone that wasn't on the field 100% of the time. He was on the field 83% of the time. Next highest receiver was Hollywood Brown, to be expected, but it was uh, five less snaps. So, I think that's actually somewhat significant to point out. Bateman has this really good chemistry with with Huntley, and for whatever reason, uh, Brown and Huntley have kind of not been on the same page in many ways. We saw the interception kind of come from that exact same thing. But then, yeah, Mark Andrews was on the field for 82% of snaps, which was about in line with what he's been doing lately. Um, I think the last couple games he might have been slightly higher, but... DuVinay and Ricard, despite being recently inactive, uh, seemed to basically be full participants with their normal snap load. I guess one shining star of the game was that Mark Andrews did break the Ravens receiving record. Uh, he did it actually on his first catch of the game, which came to no surprise to many. He got 18 yards on that play. End of the day with six catches for 89 yards a cold day for the otherwise red hot Mark Andrews, right? Not a hundred yards, no <laughs> touchdowns, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he had a great game, you know, despite many things, he had a couple plays where he dragged people for first downs and, you know, he did Mark Andrews things. Um, it's a real shame that that great accomplishment of his got overshadowed by such a crushing blow and loss. Yeah, It's crazy. We can say a six catch
0: 89 uh, yard game was a, a cold game for this guy, but yeah, I mean, he's, Continues to be uncoverable for defenses, Um, and I'm not sure how obvious it was on the broadcast, but to all of us who are at the game watching uh, on the interception to Huntley, Andrews was running a a delayed route, so he started out like he was blocking and then broke and did a slant uh, across the field to the opposite side of the field where Brown was, and you know I didn't get a chance to look at the play on an All-22, but from my recollection, Andrews was... Wide open, right at the wide first open. down marker with no defender within like 10, 15 yards from him. Would have been a huge play, possibly even a touchdown. Uh, but unfortunately, Huntley's eyes were never on that side of the field. Uh, he tried to to go to the deep ball to Hollywood. Like we said, there's miscommunication. So it could have been an absolutely monster day for
1: Andrews. Uh, but unfortunately, that was not to be. The thing that really stunk about that whole thing, Peter, is we were, I know, commenting in the stands, well, maybe, you know, it wasn't ever part part of his reads. Like, that's why he never got over there. But actually, uh, it was told today during the press conference with Harbs that, yeah, Mark Andrews was the the safety valve there. He was supposed to be the check down. Um, hmm. So if he wasn't, you know, trying to get it all there and did look at his check down, oh my gosh, it would have been much more than just a check down. It would have been a first down guarantee based on where he was on the field. And like you said, a bubble was around him. It's like he had COVID. No one to be near him. He would have had so much, you know, headway. Uh, it's it's super unfortunate. Because um, like yeah. you said, even though the Ravens were able to get the ball back there and score three points, it was really like a, a four point delta. Obviously, that still is a huge part in the game because we lost by one and gave him momentum and all that good stuff so yeah it's uh really unfortunate really really unfortunate that uh he wasn't seen there and that that amongst any there's several like one off play decision points that if you tweaked could likely have changed the outcome of the game and uh, went in the ravens favor but unfortunately football is a game of high leverage plays and uh you can't really just say that you know
2: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there was another play. Um, it's it's amazing. I think when you know when you can see the all twenty two, or if you have the opportunity to go to a go to a game, it's amazing how on some plays you can, by seeing the whole field, you can really kind of start to. I mean, you can start to see options that really you would never see on a TV broadcast. If there was one of those catches that Andrews had as well. I think it was. I don't remember the exact one. It was something in the second quarter, third quarter, maybe it ended up, I think Andrew's caught it and it was a 20 some yard catch. Um, but if you look on that play, Hollywood Brown was wide open. I mean, he put his hand up within a second because nobody was kind of covering him. It seemed like for whatever reason, their defense was just not called correctly. And so Andrews and Hollywood were both open. And Huntley decided to throw it to Andrews. And it was a completion and picked up a first down. That was great. But if he had thrown it to Hollywood, that would have been for sure a touchdown. I mean, he was already behind the defense at that point And, you know, it would have been six points at there if he would have found him. You know that being said, I, I I do think that's kind of an interesting thing we can kind of talk about here is that I think the Rams definitely realize that of uh, that Huntley definitely has a limitation in pushing the ball downfield and uh, I mean hitting his receivers. I think he's much more comfortable throwing to receivers like Mark Andrews. He's uh, comfortable hitting guys over the middle. Um, it's kind of the same argument that people used against Lamar in his rookie year. And, and even in 2019 where, you know, Oh, he can only throw between the hashes. He can't throw deep. You can't make him throw outside the hashes. I think the Rams definitely realized that with Huntley as well. Um, it it felt at least for me, you know, kind of skipping to the end of the game a little bit where the Rams were playing really solid defense. I really don't think that they were scared of Huntley pushing the ball downfield. So they, you know, they weren't really, um, you know, playing back. They were, playing very close and they they kind of knew that you know the Ravens weren't going to dial up a deep shot at that point they were going to play close to the sidelines uh play within the first you know 10 or 15 yards and kind of crowd the field for Huntley and uh, basically dare them like you know are you going to throw a deep shot here are you going to be able to do that and I think the Rams you know they they bet correctly in that situation and they relied on their pass rush uh, with Aaron Donald to just stifle them and you know it worked it worked on those last two drives and I think um, you know give the Rams credit for for realizing that I think you know I think with this game and a couple other games I think we've started to see that a little bit with Huntley he's he's not you know he's not infallible I think that is a weakness he needs to work on but uh, you know the Rams made that bet and, and they you know I think they won I think that was a difference maker in this game
0: yeah I think that's a, a really good point point. Um, and we even did mention it a little bit after the Packers game, um, uh, Huntley played a, a great game there, and uh, we acknowledged it and acknowledged all the things he did well. But in looking at both the game against the Browns and against the Packers, you kind of throw out the game against the Bears because um, it was very clear that he struggled with it being his first extended NFL action. You know that that there's a lot of things he did well, but there were some things that we remarked, you know, particularly the issues with the deep ball and with going with his first read uh, too quickly at times. Um, There's things that now that they're on tape, NFL teams uh, defensive coordinators will look at that and and try and take advantage of that. And I, I agree 100%. That's what the Rams did. And, you know, that's just unfortunately with backup quarterbacks, they're backup for a reason. Sure, Huntley looks like a guy who could be a starter in this league, with a little bit more improvement, but there's still things that he needs more seasoning on more, uh, experience. And, you know, that's, that's why the Ravens are are going to pay Lamar Jackson when, uh, whenever that works out. Um, I, you know, we've heard on local radio, there's apparently somewhat of a controversy among the fan base. Uh, some fans allegedly want the Ravens to go with Huntley instead of Jackson. I haven't actually run into any fans who have that opinion, but local radio is saying they exist. So I guess we got to give that credence. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if Lamar is healthy for that game, um, and the Ravens have the same effort on defense, you're looking at a Ravens win because Lamar can can do some things that right now in this career Huntley can't. Um, and that's not to disrespect the the effort that Huntley gave. Huntley gave a great effort against the Rams, as he's done every time that he's had to go out there and and go in for Lamar. Um, But just unfortunately, there were some limitations in his game. I don't think it was Greg Roman's fault. I think that the Ravens called a very good game based on what Huntley's skills are and where the running game is uh, with the aging running backs that they have back there. And just unfortunately, there were just a couple plays that just weren't executed correctly. And that's not to say that all the plays that were called were definitely the right ones. Cause certainly I think we can certainly quibble about some, especially the red zone plays, but with a little bit better execution on offense, I think the Ravens do hold on and win that game
1: for sure. This podcast likes Tyler Huntley. Don't get us wrong. We just love Lamar Jackson. <laughs> and I think we should. And I think you should too. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing, right? So let's talk about the running game. This is kind of a controversial point. Uh, Early on in the game, the run game was having horrible, horrible success, Um, just unable to do much of anything. Negative plays, kind of getting us in the bad situations we spoke about before. But then it started to open up slightly, and kind of paramount was that final drive that resulted in a field goal and not a touchdown. Up until the Ravens got into the last five yards, the run game was just plowing. Eight runs to get down there, only one pass. That was the drive. We saw the big run from Freeman. We saw a big scramble from Huntley and overall the Ravens running attack put together on a box score. Good game. However, watching it was a little different. So I think it's worth discussing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Rams front seven is legit. (laughs) Um, Early on in the game, you could just see that the Ravens offensive line was trying to get push and it, it just looked, and sometimes during those first couple of, of, of times out there, it just it just I don't know how to describe it. It just looked like the offensive line they were they were pushing as hard as they could, and they could just barely budge to the 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 lineman on the Ram side. So when you have backs who have lost the explosion they had younger and when they were younger in their career with an offensive line that's not getting holes, uh, it's gonna lead to a lot of negative run plays, which is exactly what happened early in the game. I think you do have to give credit to the Ravens though. They kept with it, and we did see that drive uh, in the fourth quarter where the running game all of a sudden worked for reasons that I wasn't able to figure out on on the rewatch. Like I sa- said, said um, some of it was you know they were able to set up some good misdirection where the defense had to give credence to maybe Wallace or Duvernay coming around on a fake. Uh, but but even then, I mean it. it it didn't really look like the Ravens were doing that much different. Just, I guess the Rams defense was a little worn down, but unfortunately the fact that the running game did get some success there was also a negative because the Ravens fell too far in love with the run. And those plays called within the 10 yard line, you could just see the Rams defensive front. They knew the Ravens weren't going to pass. They brought everyone on the run blitz Uh, who who actually played a very good game. Uh, if you watched his play, I thought he played a, a very, very strong game. Uh, he got blown up twice on that drive uh, on those plays that failed. And it, it was just, it wasn't anything that the offensive line was doing any differently. It was just the Rams knew we don't have to respect the pass at all. So we can just blow up the line <laughs> and we're going to stop the run there. And unfortunately, the uh, the Ravens didn't have a counter for that and they get the field goal, so the running game just, for the most part, just wasn't in the Ravens' favor uh, on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that situation is is one that's like you know, if, if you have Gus Edwards in there, I have way more confidence in Gus being able to push in for three yards, uh, or you know, four yards when you need it than any running back on a roster right now. Um, He's going to be able to do it. That's also where I'd look toward a guy like uh, J.K. Dobbins, where he has enough speed and power to get to the edge on an outside run, where you don't have to rely on all of your offensive linemen making blocks. You just have to rely on some guy to be able to hit the edge and be able to run it in. So, (laughs) like, you know, having those two players there in that situation, it's like, you know, I would feel a lot better about those play calls because you have the guys to kind of do that. But I do think it's an interesting point, though, Peter, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, where you know a couple other things right of, of just you know Hollywood Brown has been a red zone target for Lamar but he just has absolutely no chemistry with Huntley it's it's not just on the deep passes it's on pretty much everything and you know I think Hollywood's been pretty silent ever since Huntley's been in the lineup um and you know he's really not been a weapon down there uh, Mark Andrews obviously is um but you know he's Mark Andrews. I think the Rams knew that he was the guy that you need to dial in in that situation, and we really haven't had anybody else kind of step up in that role. Bateman only has one touchdown on the season, um, and while you know we think he could be that guy, I think all of us do, including myself, he just hasn't shown it yet. And I think defenses don't really respect them enough to kind of be a threat uh, because the Ravens just haven't shown that that those guys are capable. So. You know, I, this may be a little bit forward thinking, but I do think, you know, it, throughout the off season, we'll see what the moves that the Ravens make, but I do think finding another red zone target, um, you know, whether it's a running back or whether it's tight end or receiver, finding somebody else that the Ravens can rely on in those situations, I think would be, uh, you know, much needed, I think, especially if Lamar is, um, you know, out for, you know, a short uh, period of time next year for whatever reason.
1: I like the fact that you're forward thinking here, Chris. And we had the opportunity to meet Sip Tally Films' Coach Evans right before the game. Got to chat with him. We look forward to maybe doing a, not even maybe, we're going to do a show with him in the offseason. We talked about it. We should have done it this year. It's a whole year that uh, we've we've been talking about this and it hasn't happened. But one thing that we know he does is he's a big guy. Uh, he's an offensive coordinator down in Florida. And um, knows a lot about offense. And we talked about, oh, we should do a show about the next steps of the offense, the steps I took this year, the next steps they have to take. And I think you're right, Chris, uh, finding a reliable red zone option. That's not Mark Andrews in is great. Like Hollywood Brown, the beginning of the year, I think with Lamar in was a great option from the deep perspective, you know, the deep plays into the end zone. Uh, he had a couple effective plays in the red zone too, but we all know that when the field gets compressed, the game changes a bit. So really good analysis to say, Oh, we need to, to look forward there. The other thing I think is really huge to talk about is we saw a lot of it this year. The Ravens lack poise and confidence on some situations, and they run the clock out and they're like, you know, hoping to like get the snap off. And sometimes it costs them in delay of game penalties, and other times it costs them in negative plays. I think the reason they got stuffed at the line was because they waited until zero seconds to snap the ball. They snapped at like the last possible second. And if you look at it, the Rams were basically coming before the snap or like at the snap because they knew if it didn't come it was gonna be the layup game you know and i think the ravens will really benefit from getting set faster anything they can do to get to the line ready to roll faster to allow for more time for adjustments and just like comfort is good um there's just too much rushing on this team and i think it's a big problem
2: Yeah, and uh, I think Carball was asked about that as well. And he basically said, well, the call came in at that point, I think it was between Huntley and the center to be able to get the snap off in time, basically put it on those guys and like, you know, Roman had it in. (laughs) Now, whether, you know, that has been the way, you know, it's always gone the whole season, debatable, we don't know. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, probably more pronounced at least the last couple of weeks because of Huntley his experience having new center we haven't we hadn't even talked about it but Bozeman was a last minute um I shouldn't say healthy scratch because he technically was suited up for the game but he was available only on an emergency basis so uh new center backup quarterback uh I think more uh issues like that especially mental ones are kind of to be expected but uh but yeah, I mean, it was still happening when Lamar was here. So, you know, it's, it seems like a, a problem that's kind of manifested itself this year. It hasn't been the illegal formations. It's been the delay of game <laughs> and snapping the ball with less than five seconds left. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, that's kind of been our MO this year. So uh, definitely something to be uh, worked on in the off season. But <laughs> to be honest, uh, it, it might just be a 2021 Ravens thing and we'll pack it up. And then next year, you know, we might not have this problem anymore. So once everybody's back.
1: I think a good thing to talk about before we wrap up the offense is the offensive line performance. And um, this is one of the places that we knew would be a troubling part for the Ravens because the front seven is dominant for the Rams. And unfortunately it was uh, one of their downfalls in this game. It wasn't maybe the reason they lost. I think there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot you know, it's a, it's a team effort and sport, but there were a lot of times that the offensive line did not help. Be it penalties, they get them in bad situations to slow down drives, or just, you know, bad plays at bad times. And unfortunately, our boy, McCary, he had one of his worst games, despite the fact that Von Miller gave him props after the game. He said that McCary had his number the first time they played, and he thinks he's one of the better tackles in the league, which I think is like a pretty darn high praise. Unfortunately, there was a couple times that uh, he and the other guys got the best of him, and they got a little bit of revenge and you know maybe it was uh most pronounced on the game clinching sack for them but uh there were several times on third down where they blitzed at him or brought pressure that screwed up timing for Huntley brought Huntley down or um made him have to scramble and eventually get sacks from somebody else
2: yeah I think that's one of the biggest differences for me man between Huntley and Lamar is that you know, we've seen so many opportunities for Omar where the pocket is collapsing around him and somehow he finds a way to get out of it and then make a positive play. Huntley just doesn't have that same elusiveness in the pocket. Uh, there just tons of plays where, you know, I'm not saying all of the, the sacks were all on Huntley, but you know, there were a few of them. I think he probably could have stepped up, made a throw, at least thrown it away do something like that or you know maybe even to try to escape the pocket but he just he doesn't have that same ability to be able to escape when everything is closing in around him and then more often than not he you know basically whoever touches him in the pocket like you know that's where he goes down basically and yeah you know I I agree with you Alec I think you know and I think the Rams defense really stepped up in those critical situations and were able to apply pressure at the right times and that really really cost the Ravens um, in this situation you know it was whether it was down in the red zone whether it was on uh you know the last drive where the Ravens had to make something happen they were really able to kind of clamp it down and just you know force Huntley into you know making bad decisions or you know in in the case of the last drive just sacking him on fourth down and you know kind of end the Ravens chance of a comeback uh, it was really you know unfortunate uh, again, because the last couple of weeks, I think we've we've seen signs of an efficient offense, of an offense that can score in, in, in good situations. But this is really where I think having your best players and, and having Lamar Jackson, I think would have been a, a definite advantage for the Ravens that uh, they just couldn't take advantage of this game.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, Huntley, he is able to escape the pressure at times. There was definitely one play, um, I think it was right before the half, where he was able to scramble out to his right and basically outrun the defender and pick up the first down, I believe. But yeah, I agree. When he's able to escape to his right, he can have that same escapability that Lamar has. He doesn't have the elusive footwork and moves that Lamar... I mean, quite honestly, pretty much no quarterback in the NFL aside from Kyler Murray has anywhere near that type of agility that Lamar has. But yeah, when, when the pocket's collapsing around him... He's not able to step up and and escape like Lamar is able to or step up and and make a throw. Um, But I'll just go back again like I said earlier. um, There's a reason Lamar is the starter and a reason Huntley's the backup. I think that the Ravens got the best they could with the backup quarterback in there and uh, just unfortunately weren't able to finish. Do you want to move on to defense or do we want to talk about the play calling on on the last drive
1: of the game or just that... I feel like the Ravens were kind of had at that point because despite the fact that the running game was ineffective for a lot of the game and you could say that it eventually picked up with only 50 seconds left and a timeout, you don't have the privilege to run the ball, right? Furthermore, short passing game is kind of eroded because you don't have the opportunity to just take you know six yards here and there. You'll run out of time. And you can't just like always go to the sticks. So it resulted in us having to do longer developing plays. And once the Rams knew that, they were able to tee off on it. And we really saw how effective their pass rush could be. And I think that it was just a um, example of how you can use game flow and situational football to hide some of the deficiencies of your team. But if it comes to a situation where you can't hide it anymore, the other team, knowing that you can't hide it, can really execute and put you in a very bad spot.
2: So specifically what you mean there is that, you know, uh, given the Ravens offense, basically the game flow is that they have to get up and rely on a running game, short passing game, and uh, committing to long drives to basically just r- run out the clock so that the other team can't score so that's a favorable one, but then if you don't get in that and they have to score quickly with a lot of time, that basically doesn't work, right? And especially with the Rams having such a good front seven, having Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, all these guys who are really, really good at rushing the pasture, it's like that's a that's a recipe for disaster, right? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and I think it's weird, right? Like we can if we can keep it close and stay ahead, and then put the ball on their court, there's a shot right if the defense can hold there's a shot but or if you just lap them right you're you're up by two scores you're good to go but the problem is yeah if you're it's a one score game and it comes down to that with Huntley under sender, in my opinion it's it's not as likely as it is with Lamar and even with Lamar it's hard because the offensive line is not excellent the and there was many times they were taken advantage of I mean you know like we said Cologne was in there who I think is okay but not he's not bozeman right and there was a couple times that was exposed and there was a couple times that even cleveland i felt like didn't have the best game i would want to rewatch it to make a full assessment on his game there but i felt like a lot of times there was um he was looking for work right or he he went to the center who was okay and then (laughs) av was completely like destroyed right so maybe it wasn't the best choice i don't know i i would have to look at it closer there was also times where um Freeman had horrible blocks. Right, the running back was unable to do their job, and it gets blown up. So there, unfortunately, once you got into that situation, yeah, the Ravens were in a very bad spot. And I thought there was a chance. I was optimistic when they didn't get the uh, two point conversion, and I was like, "Oh, all we need is a field goal." I was like, "I can see a way that they can pull this off. We just need a couple plays. Like, pull out the Lions play. Pull out, you know, Mark Andrews. Like, get down there. It can work." And then how that line was playing, it got questionable. It really did.
0: Yeah, I it, I think, like we're saying, it just all goes full circle back to Chris's original point. The Rams knew that Huntley wasn't a threat to throw it deep, and they had to give some respect to that throughout the game. But then, yeah, at that point, they were just able to to put their
1: ears back and just rush him all out without consequence. <laughs> Let's talk about the defense. Let's talk about the part of the team that really got us in the situation to be complaining about the offense. Because if the team got blown out in all regards, we'd be complaining about them both, but it's like, ah, we got blown out, we lost, it's over, and you know it was in the Ravens' hands. But like we said earlier, it's the hope that kills you. The Ravens' defense for three quarters really, really brought it. They kept us in the game. They scored us points. It was a really good performance for three quarters.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the first guy we got to talk about, I uh, have to mention him, Chuck Clark. <laughs> it's it's funny, uh, if you were at the game, uh, then, you know, that the, the player of the game that was announced was Rod Woodson. And I think that was a, a great compare. like the only comparison that could have been better is if Ed Reed was in the stadium. Because uh, <laughs> Chuck Clark was channeling the inner Rod Woodson this game, and just, I mean, was, was all over the field ended up getting two interceptions on the day. One of them returned for a touchdown. I mean, he looked incredible. Um, you know, I think the first one was, was just pure film study of he knew the ball was going to come that way and was just able to get in a great position. And the second one, I mean, he looked like a true center fielder. He was able to get uh, all the way back and, and kind of undercut that ball to Odell and 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 just pick it off. It was a great play. Definitely not something you see often, especially for the 2021 Ravens, but uh God man, that was a throwback performance from him. It was it was great. Probably one of the best games he's played as a Raven.
0: Turnovers from this defense was what kept the Ravens in this game. Obviously Clark with the two picks, Bowser with the the sack and stripping Stafford on the way down, recovered by Houston. It was incredible to see. I mean you were reminded what can happen when a team has turnovers against a good quarterback. Obviously the Ravens had turnovers against Baker Mayfield, but those are basically gift rep. Those don't really count as much. Chuck Clark, I think, has had a very good season. He's been overshadowed this year because the secondary has had so many issues and um, hasn't had as many splash plays. Uh, like, he, he really doesn't. Um, he's more of of a guy who, who does all the right things and is, is a good coverage guy, but doesn't come with the splash plays as often. Uh, so it was cool for him to, to make himself, you know, to reintroduce himself to some Ravens fans um, who maybe haven't been... Watching the, the tape as much. But yeah, it was a great game from him. And it wasn't even just those two picks. There were a lot of times where he was in coverage of, of Cooper Cup. Uh, the Ravens didn't blanket uh, Cup exclusively with Clark, but uh, there were some times he forced an incompletion. He stopped a couple of plays from, from being broken into being bigger gains. Uh, all around, just a great game by Chuck Clark. And it's just a real shame that the Ravens weren't able to get the win because he definitely would have been the unanimous MVP from us in that case
1: yeah the first pick was like chris said the film study pick it was interesting because if you watch the play back and i recall when watching the game queen was clapping his hands and trying to signal something and queen was the one that was actually covering higby clark was on odell beckham jr clark left odell to go after the ball he was watching the quarterback the whole time and he said you know in practice um he kind of saw that play again when they were kind of mocking what the Rams like to do. And there was a collision and this time he got the interception and you know took it to the house. It was a great play by him. And then the second man, uh, oh, for the beat, you guys, uh, that weren't at the game. I-, I hate keep rubbing it in of us. You know, three of us got together at the game, but I tell you, man, <laughs> it's so special. Uh, we saw that whole thing develop. Unfortunately on the broadcast view, all you see is Chuck Clark in the box and then Chuck Clark waiting for the interception. And what you missed in between is like, yeah, he was in the box when the play started. And then he like started backpedaling and then immediately streaking backwards. And all the while Stafford is, uh, you know, patting the ball in the pocket, right? There's no reason for him to be running backwards quite yet until he unleashes it. And he's just there waiting for it, you know? So it was another play that only happened because of great anticipation. So, um. I remember us talking at the beginning of the year, a lot of praise for Chuck Clark. And then there was that middle part of the year where he kind of fell off or there were some points that you could pick on him. But between those two interceptions and like Peter pointed out, the coverage that he was doing with Cooper Cup, he was frequently the one that was following him, so to speak. Um, Not always, but he was definitely a, a part of the game plan. He had one of his best games in a Ravens uniform.
2: Yeah, to kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, I think uh, I, I think the Ravens' safeties have been playing a lot better the last couple of weeks. I think they've really kind of found uh, some pieces here that are working really well. Um, you know, I, th- I think one of uh, one realization I had as well is that with uh, Tony Jefferson being re-signed and now that we have um, him in the safety room in addition to Geno Stone and Brandon Stevens, I think Wink has really found some nice packages that kind of utilize all of those guys in in good ways. So uh, Gino, I think right now has kind of been more of that uh, deep safety kind of role. Uh, Brandon Stevens seems to be almost like kind of like this uh Swiss army knife kind of thing where he can play deep a little bit but he can also kind of I think his strength is probably covering guys sort of one-on-one um not being the deep man I think earlier on this season he was a little bit more the deep man and we noticed a little bit he was a little bit slow to kind of react to some plays let up a few big ones but uh if you put him in coverage um one on one with a couple of receivers, he can really lock down some guys. I I know he had a great play. Uh, I think it was uh, to hold Higby to uh, on a third down play, and he was able to hold them and, and force a fourth down, which was great. But Tony Jefferson, in particular, I thought uh, during the game, um, I, I noticed that like you know, I, I one of the, his criticisms, I think, uh, when he was here the first time was that. Uh, you know, if you guys recall, he uh, we picked him up from Arizona, and he had a fantastic season before the Ravens signed him uh, in this sort of, um, you know, a sort of hybrid uh, strong safety role, uh, where he would frequently play, you know, within like five or ten yards of the line of scrimmage. So he would be this sort of guy who was sort of played in the box, but was really, really good in coverage, and would force a lot of interceptions and and really great plays for the Cardinals, and when he got signed to the Ravens he never really played that role exclusively I think part of that was that you know eventually Eric Weddle came on and the Ravens sort of like to interchange who was playing this sort of deep safety who was playing in the box and frequently Jefferson would play this sort of deep safety role which is not really his strength but I was noticing during the game with the Rams was that the Ravens were playing a lot of three safety looks so you'd have Clark play deep safety you'd have either Stevens or Stones in there and then you'd also have Jefferson who would always be playing close to the line of scrimmage and I think that has been a really really key improvement for this defense is that they finally found another package that they can go to and they seem to have some pretty good success with that. Um, Jefferson in particular I think this game had a couple of good really good pass breakups and uh, was just generally you know in the area of, of a lot of these plays. And I, I think he's a contributor that shouldn't be overlooked.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you're bringing it up on the pod. I know we talked about it uh, on Sunday and honestly, we were talking about this before we were even doing the pod. There's no, you know, we don't have it in recording, but it, it was always frustrating back in 2017 and 2018 to, to see what role Jefferson had on the team. Because like, like you said, they were, it was clear that they were using him out of position Weddle didn't have the speed to be able to be the the deep uh, free safety, so Jefferson had to do that more than he really should have had to. Um, But yeah, now he's in a role on his second stint with Baltimore, and he's able to do the things that we were expecting he would do when he was in Arizona, and it's simply because we've got the personnel to allow it. So yeah, I'm really glad you brought that point up because I I think it's uh, one that's very important, and you know we could see them resign Jefferson probably for not terribly much as, as at least a backup to Elliott um, given the fact that, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was on San Francisco's practice squad. I can't see him commanding a huge market. So I could definitely see what we're seeing right now from Jefferson being a bit of a, of a preview for what we could see from the secondary next year, not just with um, the safeties who are currently active, but even, you know, when Elliott comes back as well.
2: Well, remember, Elliott probably not coming back, right? So this is his fourth year. Um, Oh, that's true. My mistake. My mistake. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't know, right? But I do think it's good to point out that Tony Jefferson is getting another contract in the NFL. The guy is playing well. If it's not the Ravens who offered him something, someone's going to give him an offer. He deserves to be on a roster. And this is a great revival to his career. He only played 15 snaps for the Ravens defense, but for whatever reason, those 15 snaps, he made big plays and he had nine special team snaps. And on those plays, he was also involved and people have already been saying it, that he could be the new uh, Levine. And I could see that too, where uh, he has a little bit more upside right now on the defensive side of the ball and some utilization there than Levine necessarily has, but he also could be heavily involved in the special team packages and just be this like um, veteran force. And, He was really savvy this game. He made some big plays. And I also want to point out Stevens. He had 60% of the snaps, 35. uh, Kind of normal, little less kind of workflow than he's normally had. And that's because Geno Stone has also been very involved. So Geno Stone has been playing a lot more lately. 33 snaps, 57% of the total snaps. And it seemed like between having uh geno stone and uh steven Zinn or geno stone and jefferson or you know some kind of combination of these guys plus chart clark has resulted in some pretty cool packages as you guys alluded so this is a interesting little bit of the defense that's been um realized because of the elliot injury
2: yeah and it's certainly taken a while to get here too right they were putting Stevens back out there. Stone really wasn't ready. Then they started putting Stone and, and rotating Stevens a little bit. But I really think that they've unlocked something with with Jefferson here, and that they've they found some packages and uh, a snap count share that really seems to to work pretty well. Now, I mean, you know, we'd love to see some improvement from these guys. I know for Stevens, um, you know, one area I think he can probably improve a little bit is that you know is is he. Well, maybe not improvement, but more of a clarification is, is he going to be more of a cornerback sort of slot corner sort of role? Or is he going to be more of a true free safety sort of role? I don't know if the Ravens certainly know what they have with him yet. I think finding out what are some other pieces around him might make that a little bit more clear. Um, and for stone in particular, I think for him, he seems to be solid in coverage. I won't say that he's great. I think one play in particular that I remember looking at was, um, I think it was a completion to cup and we sort of had sort of bracket coverage where Queen was underneath and I think it was Stone who was over the top although maybe it might have been Clark I don't know we'll have to go back and watch the film on that but you know I thought that whoever was in the back end coverage there was basically it was it was it was a great play by Stafford because he was able to put it just over Queen he had a a great angle for it if he was like another couple yards back I think he would have been able to to at least get a pass deflection if not an interception Um, but you know I think it was Stone who was playing safety on that role was just a little bit late for that and then the completion was made and you know Zone ended up making the tackle which was fine but you know you'd be Definitely would prefer to see the pass deflection in that situation. So, you know, I think Sone is a little bit more of an improvement there, but, um, you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, the Ravens can look at and say, you know, hey, you know, most of these guys are going to be back next year. Is this something that we can use uh, when we're talking about the 2022 Ravens defense? I, I think it is. I think you may want to bring in some other guy uh, probably through the draft uh, because, yeah, I, I think, I think with the, uh, the contracts next year, I just I have a hard time seeing Elliott coming back.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Uh, so sad. So sad, if true
0: uh, I think before we move on to other aspects of the defense, we do have to give uh, one more shout-out to Tony Jefferson. Uh, he would have been the hero of this game had the Ravens been able to get into Justin Tucker's field goal ranges. He was not fooled at all by whatever hijinks the Rams were trying to do on that two-point conversion, just ran without blinking right past, uh, was it Odell? Odell, uh, lateral it to Michelle. Was that what it was? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, and snuffed that play out. So just another, another thing to, to point out there, but yeah, big plays from
1: Tony Jefferson on limited snaps on Sunday. The other standout for the game was Tyus Bowser. Not only did he cause a sack fumble, but he was one of the few players that had a hundred percent of the defensive snaps. Uh, he was asked to step up, and he played all on the one side, and then you saw Ferguson and Houston play together on the other side. Clearly had that one big play, but Houston also had a good game, and even Ferguson had one of his best games as a Ravens player. Yeah, I mean, I think
0: I think both those guys did well. Uh, Ferguson, unfortunately, could have had a huge game, but um, it just has to be a more consistent tackler. There were a couple times where he got in the backfield on run plays and was in position to... Um, to wrap Michelle up for a loss, but uh, just wasn't able to get a tackle or, or got blocked, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, we've seen some small improvement from this guy going forward. I don't know if it's going to be enough for him to be a big part of the Ravens' plans going forward um, and for him to have a late career boom like we're seeing from Bowser. But um, there are at least some signs, so so we'll see with him. But, yeah, Bowser just continues to explode. um definite pro bowl snub and uh that that sack and strip sack on stafford was was huge as the rams were within uh were in the red zone killed that drive set the edge well against the run i mean yeah the guy just continues to to prove me wrong wherein i said i needed to see more from him before i could say that he had truly broken out you, you proved it to me tyus you have uh, I guess I owe you a beer now. We'll keep adding it to the list. Alec Aleco is like three or four different beers. I guess this is the first one for me.
2: Yeah, another guy in particular. Um, I know we haven't talked about him yet, but Jimmy Smith. Actually, you know, I'll just mention Jimmy and Tavon. I think both, I think, had pretty uh, throwback games uh, to some of their best, I think. I think there was a lot of good stuff. I, I think there was a lot of good stuff from, from most of the guys in the secondary of this game. I mean, I know obviously, you know, we had three touchdowns given up to the Rams, uh, which is not great but given the, all the weapons that they did have um you know i, I think overall they did a, a pretty good job i think it was really just on the offense of not converting um all those field goals into touchdowns that it you know didn't look as good but jimmy and tavon i think overall were playing very solid football and just being in the right position it was rather unfortunate on that uh that fourth down play in the red zone which ended up leading to the last rams touchdown um, it was tavon in coverage on Odell and he was able to convert on that fourth down but I mean it was just it was excellent coverage from him I mean, he was right on the guy and made the tackle immediately. Um, it was just a, a great throw and I think Tavon said as much as well um, you know it's we don't know what's going to happen with either of these two guys. I know Jimmy is you know I think a lot of people think that he might uh, be playing his last game uh, next week against the Steelers he might be headed for retirement. Um, as far as Tavon, I mean, I think the, it's no secret the last couple of years have been a little bit uh, unfortunate for him because of season ending injuries. And so this is the, I believe the last year on his contract from the Ravens. So we don't know what his future holds in Baltimore, but, you know, I think for both those guys, um, you know, given that, you know, they are likely on the tail end of their careers here, um, it was great to kind of see them go out with, uh, with an excellent game for both those guys.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the secondary made the Rams work. The Rams had to work for all the points that they got yesterday. It's just really unfortunate that we're talking once again about how the Ravens could have had better calling, play calling in the red zone, and they could have gotten a touchdown instead of that field goal for that last drive. The Ravens' defense forced the Rams to into fourth and five, and like you said, Chris, they were just inches over, unfortunately, despite the fact that Young had good coverage and And then, unfortunately, on that last touchdown to Odell, the defense fought. I think that was just a great play designed by the Rams. They they brought Cup in motion away from the side of the play that they would end up throwing to, uh, took Jimmy Smith out of the play, and basically had Odell and um, whoever number 18 is on the Rams. I forget. I think he's their backup tight end. They had him bunched tight, and and basically 18 ran a pick um, and (laughs) blocked Seymour and Young out of the play. Which left Odell wide open in a tight window, albeit, but you know, still wide open. And Stafford was able to hit him, and and that was the difference. You know, it's just they had a great play call there on, in a game where the Ravens unfortunately didn't have very many good red zone. Honestly, zero good red zone play calls. That was, just, you know, I'm not I'm not part of the fire Greg Roman bot network, but you know, I I, I do think that that is something that. Greg Roman could have done better in this game is have uh, you know draw up some more creative play calls in the in the red zone. Um, but unfortunately, I feel like I got to stop saying that. I think I said that way too many times this this pod. Unfortunately, the Ravens didn't pull this out. Unfortunately, it just you know there were just a couple slip ups. They lost. I, I don't know how else to, to to put it. It was unfortunate. You know we're all bummed. Oh man, is there any, yeah. Do we have to keep talking about this game? Is there anything else? the Ravens run de- run defense was adequate I don't think there's anything more to say than that <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just want to point out it's funny Peter that you bring up that play call because it was like controversial quote unquote they asked Harbs about it in his presser today and he was like I think it was a fair play call now if you're asking me if I thought it was a pick and if we done it we wouldn't call on it I mean honestly <laughs> yeah sometimes I would be <laughs> but I think oh, it's man. fine yeah, yeah I he mean it's a little snippy about it but right you know <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 the problem with these some of these rules where it comes into subjectiveness. I'm sure there's plenty of people who thought Michelle's block was a legal block and like shouldn't have been called back on that otherwise productive play. And you know, I I, I get it. So yeah, I don't know. Unless Chris, do you have something you want to talk about? I think yeah, the run defense was decent. I wanted to point out that like a lot of Ravens players had big step up plays in the run game. You know, disrupted tackles for a loss. The defense did a lot. To get this done, unfortunately, the one thing I, the one like sad I point out is Stafford had fourteen straight completions in the second half. The only reason they didn't score on one of their possessions was because of that turnover that Bowser created. Otherwise, if they had the ball, they were scoring. Well, that sums it up. Do we want to have moral victories for a game where we lose the season, most no. likely, or is it just? <laughs> I right, mean, moral, I think what we can do instead,
0: <laughs> what we can do instead is like say like something that gave us hope to look ahead for 2022 i don't know i don't, think I don't know I, I I can't really say like a moral
1: victory award because like we learned nothing new about this team i think it was just a yeah. summary of everything we knew yeah that's, i honestly i don't think there was much learned right i the only thing that maybe became a little bit more solidified because of the fact that we haven't had him for long is tony jefferson des- deserves a second contract and role either on this team or on another nfl squad that's like the number one thing we learned and I think maybe our safeties have some some promise. Our young safeties, Geno Stone and Stevens, I think. We kind of knew that already, but they had another game to give you a suggestion that uh, they'll have a bigger role going forward. Yeah, I agree. That wraps it up, guys. Thanks for listening to Raven's Recap. Really sucks to have to bring this news to you guys, but you already knew it. Uh, but we appreciate you guys for listening this far and sticking with us. You can find us online, Twitter handle, ravens underscore recap our email is feedback at ravensrecap.com. we appreciate you guys enjoyed a lot today the commentary on my uh torn flag outside my balcony that i discovered today very poetic very uh symbolic of the season and uh yeah you kind of made my day (laughs) so (laughs) appreciate it we'll be here breaking down the pittsburgh matchup potentially the last game ever played by ben roethlisberger Potentially the last time that we'll see him at MT Bank Stadium. Uh we'll be all over that analysis. Uh make sure to tune in for it. And then of course, in the off season, I mean assuming that the two percent doesn't happen, in the off season we'll be here all off season breaking down the draft, free agency, roster building, all that good stuff. So no reason to stop listening now. We got a lot of good content
2: ahead. <laughs> Ravenless Sundays. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, f- that
1: should be your poll. It looks like the poll. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that's going to be the poll after the Ravens are. Li- Although I am going to put out a poll, like the Friday poll is going to be like what do you care most about for this game and it's literally going to be it's literally going to be these four bullet points. That's the poll. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That should be the poll. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. literally.
1: What I just oh said. no, but the, but the
0: poll after the Ravens get eliminated is what? How are you going to spend your Ravens? Oh on uh, oh,
2: <laughs> right. Sure. Or just yeah. not even make it a poll. Just like make it a tweet and be like Ravens recap flock. Yeah. <laughs> Give us your ideas. What's good on Netflix, guys?
1: <laughs> Dude, I'm kind of addicted to going to games now because you can actually see the damn field. I w- I would love the all twenty two view while watching live. Like that Chuck Clark pick doesn't look nearly as cool as it did when we were watching it in person. It just I like I did notice that, yeah. It just yeah, looks like he was there.
0: Play.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like you have to like completely fill in the dots. Right. Uh, of how he got there. Um you see him briefly in the box when it snapped, immediately out of the picture afterwards, and then just like casually waiting for the ball. <laughs> like yeah. you completely miss the part of him sprinting to get it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm totally like if it was
0: if it was practical, I would I would definitely go to every live sports game that I watch on TV. I mean, it's just I, I don't get people who are just like, oh, I just rather watch at home on TV. I, like, I mean, you know, TV broadcasts are, are great and we have super high definition TVs and great sound systems. I'll agree with you on that, but it still doesn't beat, you know, being there live for a game.
1: Yeah, it's not even like, I mean, I love the atmosphere too, but just the ability to see things develop is unparalleled. I, I think basketball is probably the best example of something you can actually watch from home. Like, you can actually see all the play and, and maybe baseball too, you know, like you're not missing anything. But oh, I feel actually, like football,
0: base, baseball, I think is the worst for on TV. Cause so much is happening, like with defensive shifts and um, you know, in the, in the infield. And then when a hit happens, like the hit happens and then they have to change camera angles and then you lose track of where the ball is. And then sometimes mm-hmm. the ball's out of scope and you just see the camera zooming in on the outfield to where the outfielders rushing to the ball the ball doesn't That's show fair, up till sure. the last minute second. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, baseball it'd be really interesting. I think at some point in the next decade, they really have to do a deep dive on like how this sport is televised and how we can improve it, improve that because they've been using the same formula forever and I feel like that it it's definitely has the most flaws of any sport and obviously baseball is not super popular in comparison to other big sports. Um so yeah
1: Yeah. interesting yeah because it's really boring
0: (laughs) i mean i love it but i also have enjoyed watching uh watching um national chess games on youtube as
1: of late as well which i've also told is boring so (laughs) i think i think baseball is really cool when condensed into its seven minute form like (laughs) (laughs) missing all the strategy though man what what? (laughs) pause okay hold on Is there an actual strategy to be observed <laughs> during the uh, the dead time between swinging at times? Essentially, like, yes, man. Times? As an analytics junkie, you should love
0: baseball. <laughs> that's when you're watching them all do their shifts. They're shifting based on the probabilities of what the hitter's going to hit at that certain pitch count. Wow, I didn't realize they were
1: shifting constantly. Yeah, they are. Oh, all right. That's
0: there why. That's why a lot of the old baseball people wanted to like just get rid of the shift because all because analytics has kind of broken baseball in a way is like hitters because they they have it all mapped out like oh hey when it's one ball zero strikes everyone line up here for this hitter but then when he's at you know one ball two strikes then he's likely going to hit it over here so then everyone shifts there and like so that's why baseball is kind of you know gone a little bit to like a home run or bus ball because hitters are having harder time hitting where they like it because the analytics knows where they're going to hit so then they're just like, "F it! I'll just try and hit it over the fence where you can't catch it," and then.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh wow!
1: This is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think I think you should uh, in the in the dead time between uh, between Ravens and when Orioles steps up. I think you should take a look into baseball analytics a bit. I think you'd really like it.